Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Sean, I'm doing good, man. It's Friday afternoon. Uh, weekend coming up. No football. No football this weekend. No NFL. So I'm a little sad about that. Won't be until what? We got seven months-ish until the Bengals are back at it. I know you're Packers guy, right? So a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. Kind of take this a different route than you probably what you thought we were going to go. But, uh, <laughs> Sean, I'm seeing – I've been reading a lot of NFL content. I've been consuming a lot of it. And your Packers, for a lot of national NFL riders, the, the big storyline this offseason, what happens with Aaron Rodgers? And that, yeah. that is. It's probably, probably is the single biggest story right now uh, in the NFL offseason. Yeah, kind of put it on pause there for a couple of months just to get through the season, right, when he ended up deciding to uh, <clears throat> show up for training camp and and go through the season. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting follow because no Aaron Rodgers means probably a complete rebuild, right? Yeah, and Devontae Adams could leave. Uh, this is a this is a NFL podcast now. We're I'm sure there's fans. some Packers fans that listen oh, to this sure. pod. There, some, surely. Some, some of y'all have to be Packers fans, but – or just NFL fans in general. Yeah. I mean, that's the storyline. If he goes to Denver or goes somewhere else, I man, it could shake up uh, a lot of things. But now, um, you know, we started off talking slightly about the NFL, but this was going to be a some football discussion, Sean, uh, in the news, as I'm sure everyone's been following along. We're recording this at it's 414 right now on Friday, and as of now, there's been no resolution in terms of what offensive coordinator Liam Cohen will do. Uh, if you are someone who's not been following in the news, uh, Kevin O'Connell from the Los Angeles Rams, the offensive coordinator, he is now the head coach for the Minnesota Vikings. And there's uh, obviously, you know, you have to replace him and Liam Cohen, who was the assistant quarterback coach last season in 2020 with the Los Angeles Rams, with the assistant wide receiver coach the two years before that. He is a, he's kind of a prime candidate, Sean. You've had Adam Schefter, Last weekend, report that he was right in the mix along with Thomas Brown, who's already on the staff. He's a running backs coach who just so happens to be interviewing for the offensive coordinator job with O'Connell in Minnesota. So it seems to me, from what I've read, the likelihood will be that Brown gets one of those two jobs. He'll either get promoted in-house in Los Angeles or he will leave to go with the Vikings. We'll see if that happens. Uh, but Greg Olson, the former Las Vegas Raiders offensive coordinator, is another guy in play there along with Cohen and then also a couple other names. I don't have them in front of me. Uh, I think, or maybe Cortez, Cortez Hankson is his name. Maybe he's with the, uh, he's with LSU. And then you have another guy, uh, I think the Atlanta Falcons quarterback coach who I don't know. I have his name in front of me. Those are kind of the guys in play though. But Sean, you're talking about a situation that could be, I, I'm not trying to be, add too much hyperbole here this, this could be a disaster <laughs> i think if he were to leave i think spring ball starts two weeks from now yeah and definitely the timing would not be in kentucky's favor if something like this were to happen um, Derek, i know though when when liam cohen was hired at kentucky and i know i tweeted this last night i believe or the night before <clears throat> excuse me and i said that the moment that liam was hired we all knew if it was a success he wouldn't be there long. I mean, there was a – for a guy that had a lot of hype around him, a lot of positive buzz the year that they had, he's a popular guy. I think if you're a Kentucky fan, you're just sitting here hoping you get one more year with him because it, I, th I think that would honestly be it. 
is if he does, if he doesn't take the job, I could see one more year and that guy's off being a head coach somewhere or, or maybe a, a high profile OC job. But I just think that if you're a Kentucky fan, you're just sitting here hoping like, please God, just one more year of Liam Cohen and then I'll be fine wherever he goes. But I think people would understand too, if he left now, but best case to me is one more year with Liam. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think any football fan out there who, who understands the dynamics, I mean, you can, you could kind of make a argument for certain things, I guess you could say like, yes, it would be true more likely than not. If he were to go to LA, he would not call the plays. However, that's not stopped multiple guys <laughs> who have coached under McVay from becoming head coaches. I mean, this is, again, this is not exaggerating. If Liam Cohen is the choice to be the Rams offensive coordinator, he he could get NFL head coaching interviews next season or after, you know what I mean? Like after this 2022 season, if they're, because I mean, if, if everybody comes back, that's probably a team that's going to compete once again for the NFC. And if you're coming from a, you know, the defending Super Bowl champs for this year, if they make another run next year, given what he did at Kentucky, given his, his pass with McVay, I, I, that's not out of, you know, that's, that's a real possibility. And if you're thinking, if you're, if you're in Liam Cohen's shoes, I think, I mean, you're in a great spot right now because if you do come back to Kentucky, let's say he doesn't get offered the job and he decides to come back to UK. Um, I think that I tweeted this the other night. I think the talent is there to have one of the best offenses they've had in over well over a decade. Got some questions on the offensive line, no doubt about it. And I'm not saying it's going to you know, be a juggernaut offensively, but I think you're going to see the development of Will Levis. Um, maybe one of these wide receiver transfers comes in and is, is good enough to, to maybe make the leap to the NFL as well. And you can have a few more because you're going to have what? He'll be able to claim Kennard, Robinson. Uh, this upcoming season as draft picks. And then I think, I think certainly Levis is going to be picked um, next year. I don't know how high that's, you know, so we have to see play out this fall, but um, you know, maybe one of those wide receivers, maybe Tavion Robinson or somebody has a good enough year to go to the NFL. I mean, that's all down the road for sure. But the flip side of that is if he does go to LA in terms of what it means for his career, if his ultimate goal is to become an NFL head coach, I mean, that's that's the quickest path possible, I would say, right now. I mean, c- certainly compared to his options if he were to stay at Kentucky. And earlier this week, I would have said it's really bad timing for UK just in the sense that this might be the only job he could get in the NFL. But it sounds like, according to a report, that uh, he was actually in the mix for the New Orleans Saints job, which tells you he's a little bit more coveted than what even I would have expected. Because this was a good Kentucky offense this year, but it wasn't, you know, spectacular to the sense that you would think there were that there would be multiple NFL teams beating down the door to get him. So that does uh, tell you a lot, I guess, about what the NFL thinks about Cohen. And it's almost like I'll use a baseball term. I call it helium and a draft prospect kind of just like just takes over the the scouting world. He could say, I think for the NFL world in terms of just the name recognition that Cohen has right now, it it just it feels like it feels like he's gonna end up in LA, in my opinion. I mean he's a, he's a star in the making. The the yeah. way he's been talked about. I mean he's been on different media outlets. There, there's been stories written nationally, locally. I mean he's a a hot topic right now and a hot name when it comes to uh, who Sean McVay decides to fill that vacancy with out there. But Kentucky fans certainly hope that they get at least one more year with him and. Oh, yeah. Eric, let's just let's just talk and let's just assume that he doesn't, or let's just assume that he does leave. 
uh, because if he doesn't leave, then nothing changes. But if he does decide to leave, Kentucky's in a spot here where they've got to make a move and they got to make it quick. Do what? What do you think Kentucky does if if they get in a situation where they're looking for an offensive coordinator this close to spring ball? Well, I think it's really important. Um, well, you're right. You're right about Cohen. I think he is a star. And you could tell just from that first Zoom we had with him last year that, you know, I didn't know I didn't know who Liam Cohen was before that job search that UK had for the offensive coordinator. And then you hear that first interview with him and you hear him talk and you, you could just tell he was kind of different than what has been around here for a long time. So I say that to say this. I think – for as good as Cohen is, and I like him a lot, I think he's he's a very good play caller. I think if he were to come back for next season, the offense could be quite special. I think part of the reason they've been able to add so much good talent, especially to the wide receiver room, is because of the system and not necessarily because of Liam Cohen. Because how many – did Wondell Robinson know who Liam Cohen was last year when he went to the transfer portal? Like Probably not. But he knew that this guy came from the Rams and he knows the kind of offense in the NFL that the Rams produce. And the, the, the ultimate goal, and, and Robinson was a great example of this, of a guy who could come into this offense and thrive. Like, there's proof of concept there now with Wondell Robinson that you can run this kind of – and, again, Wondell's an extremely talented player, but this offense put him in a situation where he could really produce. So I think if you go back to the Sean McVay tree, or even if it's not the Sean McVay tree, if it's just a different kind of NFL system, like, I think – you can still entice players to come here. And I think the transition maybe wouldn't have to be as bad. Like the one name, and I've seen it thrown around, and I would completely get behind this, although it has been uh, speculated elsewhere that maybe it wouldn't be the hire. But Zach Robinson had – he for you college football fans, I can remember him at Oklahoma State. He was Des Bryant's quarterback. He's been basically what Liam's role was with the Rams. He's done that for the last three years. Like, he would probably be the smoothest transition. He's a former quarterback. He could still coach quarterbacks. And what the system he would run, would, what you would think, would be very similar, if not identical, to what Cohen runs. But if he doesn't come here, I mean, I think you still trust that Stoops will make the will make a good hire. I mean, think about this now, Sean. And it's it's kind of funny in a way. Just – because, like, the rep of Stoops, he is a defensive guy. Obviously, he was – that was his background on defense. He was very – and he, he had one clunker of a hire with, with Shannon Dawson. That was not a good hire. He quickly corrected it. He was very close to hiring Lincoln Riley before his big brother got involved and took him to Oklahoma. And we could be talking about a situation where Mark Stoops hired a guy who was the assistant quarterback coach for the Los Angeles Rams, and that guy – possibly we'll see what happens could have become a head coach in the nfl within three years yeah i mean how crazy is that <laughs> it's for what we talk about so i'll say that to say you know i think he's had a pretty good idea of what he wants to run and then eddie grant of course the way it ended i mean i think they had no choice but to but to make a move but eddie was was very good i mean he he was a guy who came from cincinnati where they had good offenses and i think by the statistically you're going to look at the record books and Eddie Graham is going to be the offensive coordinator for, for some of the you know best individual players with Benny Snell Chris Rodriguez is going to finish pretty high on the record books and he coached him for a little bit of that career and just in terms of the the win-loss record UK was very good within the time that Eddie was here but I I can't and I've been long-winded here but I just it, it really would set my expectations back 
quite a bit for this team, man. I think if, if Cohen is to leave, just because even if you do hire someone else from that tree, there's no guarantee they're going to be as good on game day. I mean, I think, I think Liam showed you on the field how good of a play caller he could be. And I was very optimistic um, and still will be if he decides to come back for what this offense was going to be this fall. Yeah. I mean, this on paper and talent and production, a quarterback, probably a, you're, you feel better at quarterback now than you have at any point in the Mark yeah. Stoops era. You probably, with Lee and Cohen coming back, think that this offense could take two steps forward next year and be maybe the best, probably the best offense Stoops has had since he's been in Lexington. But I'll ask you this. Let's say that Cohen leaves this philosophy that, that they found and what they're doing offensively. How important is it, do you think, that Mark Stoops keeps that the same and, and goes and finds a guy that will try to do the exact same thing that Liam has been doing? Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, I don't think you're going to see them go, you know, I, I think he wants balance, whether, you know, whether the the style is, is exactly the same. I don't know. I guess it'll just depend on who he's able to get. But I think, you know, you like the idea of a, still having a, a physical run game incorporated with some really, really good passing concepts. But, you know, the kind of the thing, just from listening to Liam talk in those press conferences, and I'm no football expert by any means, but just kind of the the whole system, the way that they kind of played off of each other with the run game and the play action pass, I mean, it's it's pretty tough to defend. And, and Liam knew that system very well. He was very good at knowing when to call certain plays at certain times. And uh, that's, that's the risk you run whenever you're hiring someone else. I mean, it is interesting because – and I, th- I think it says a lot about Liam because, like we said, I didn't know who he was. That that was a, a risky hire in some regards for what Stoops did. Now you look at it now a year later and you think, oh, man, there's no way they can lose this guy. He's so good. But at the time, you know, Eddie was an experienced play caller. Uh, Neil Brown, when he hired him, Stoops' first OC, was an experienced play caller. Dawson, a little less so. I mean, Dawson was under Holgerson, and uh, I'm not sure if he actually called the plays or not. It was seemed like it was always kind of a – debate at the time you know how much of a role he had under Holgerson but this new guy I don't know I mean if you're able to bring in someone with some kind of name recognition I don't know but another thing to keep in mind too Sean when I'm making this hire with the increased staff pool I mean Liam was set to make 1.1 million this year yeah if he's to leave you know you you, you know you assume you have that money to play with and it's you know very it doesn't really mean anything in terms of these salaries you're talking about, uh, but $150,000 is what the Rams want to pay UK to for Williams buyout, basically. Um, so, I mean, you might have, and again, it's tough though, because we're talking about it's February 18th. I don't know how many guys are going to up and leave the job they have right now. We'll just have to see who some of the names yeah, are. It's close to spring. Yeah. I mean, this is very close to spring, but just in terms of pure money, if, if they're going to set the price tag around a million bucks, I mean, you, you would think they should still be able to get someone good, and this should be an attractive job for for somebody. There, you, you could say Liam, even if he does leave, and it's always a little tricky now with the transfer portal things like that. I don't I don't know what would happen. I, we won't really get into all that because it's just like a Pandora's box. That I mean, who knows? Yeah. You can make a case for everybody, but in a lot of ways, Liam did a very good job getting this raw, and not just Liam, but the other coaches as well, getting this offense in a spot where it should be very good and it's by far in my opinion the most attractive this offense has been uh, under stoop so someone good out there i would think would want this job yeah and it's it's an appealing job for a program that just continues to uh 
you know, break new ground and, and take strides. And there's another stride being taken today. Derek, this is something that Mark Stoops has been wanting done for a while, and that's a, an indoor football facility. So UK announced three facility projects today. One of them is a new indoor track. The other is a renovation of Nutter Fieldhouse to a football only facility and then new football scoreboards. And you and I both know that's the scoreboards and video boards at Kroger Field needed to be updated too. Did that one scoreboard this whole season like had a little panel out? It felt like every single game. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. The one closest to the field house. It was like every time I looked over there, the the board wasn't uh, fully lit up. But, no, that's great. Um, I mean, you know, we'd talk. It's long overdue for sure on Nutter. But just the fact that it's been approved, it's going to happen. That's, that's, that's great. Um, I would love to see what it looks like when it gets done. Did they put any drawings out of, I'm not really had a chance to look yet. Is uh, they, are they that far along yet? Or is it just kind of, they got the money approved. It, it was the money approved today. Okay. I've, I've not seen any drawings, but you would have to think that the way that the, the, the fifth facility is right there with the outdoor fields and everything like Nutter is going to look really, really nice when it's all said and done. And think about that. Like Mark Stoops been here now. It's going to be a decade. A uh, new renovated stadium. You've got the yeah. football, the outdoor training facility. You got the indoor training facility, and, and now you're going to have a new field house. Like this entire program has transformed both on and off the field in, in a decade, and it's pretty remarkable to see. I can remember meeting with uh, Brett Dawson, who was the publisher for Rivals at the time when I was starting college in 2013. And we met up at the Shively Sports Center. I, I think that's what it was called. It's right there next to Cliff Hagen Stadium. But those are two buildings or two – well, one's a building. One's a – well, there, I mean, there was a Tim Couch training fields outside, um, which are not intramural fields, I believe. And, I mean, you talk about the baseball stadium. There's a new one now. Football has a brand-new training facility, um, a great indoor facility. Now Nutter getting this renovation. And then you also have um, – the football field had a, what, $126 million renovation, I think something like that are my numbers right there that's what it said in that email i think so yeah so it's a lot of money that's been put into the football program and uh i mean it's with what they're making though with, with how good the program is now and the money they get from the sec network that i mean they they need to be putting that money back into football and, and all sports but football as well and in track as well deserving as well i mean they've They've had a great program, and uh, they're going to get what a twenty million, yeah, twenty million for her new indoor track. So five million for this field house, and and then the new scoreboards as well. So that is a big deal, Sean. It is. It's uh, it's great, and it's one thing that's going to help the video boards anyway. It'll, it'll be something for season ticket holders and just people who come out to watch the games. They'll they'll be able to have it. It's wild, dude. That uh. I just hadn't spent much time thinking about those video boards because I can remember when they got put in and it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but now that I think about it, I guess it was back before what the 2011 season, maybe Yeah, something like that. So when it's wild how fast time boards. goes. Yeah. When they put yeah. the ribbon boards around and uh, yeah, that, it's hard to believe that now going to be kind of two updates removed from what, from what yeah. it used to be when it was Commonwealth stadium. But here's the thing, like when you win, most of the time you get what you ask for. And Mark Stoops has been winning and he continues to get what he asked for. And uh, really, really cool. I don't know if you saw this recently, but somebody tagged Rich Brooks in um, 
I guess it was in something about, you know, maybe some upgrades to facilities or the like a recruiting fund or something like that. And Rich replied, so I can't remember what he replied, but he was replying. And then he said, I'm, I'm glad to see that Mark Stoops is getting, you know, what he wants. But he didn't say it in a negative way at all. He said it right. more as in a positive that he's glad to see that the program is, you know, has moved forward and, and doing some of those things that, that he wanted, like he wanted, he wanted a lot of upgrades and stuff when he was there, but they're finally happening. It's, it's taken, you know, the, the football team to be good and they've been good for the last four or five, six years. And I think uh, Mark Stoops and what he's done in Lexington, it, it was time to, uh, to pay up and, and give him what he wanted. And if he thinks this is what takes him to the next level, I see no reason why you don't give it to him. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Oh, I mean, that's a small ask, I think. I mean, yeah, like. I know some other sports, track notably, you know, use that facility. And it wasn't just as, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and get it done. I understand that it took some work, I'm sure, on Mitch's end and some of the other people in the athletic department. But that is not a big ask, in my opinion, from a football coach who has been, one, he's going on a decade here at the school, 10 years. I mean, that's crazy that it's gone by this quick. But Mark Stoops is about to be entering his 10th season at Kentucky. And the success he's had, it's, you know, the, the best run in football since the 50s. And the fact that almost every single high major program has an indoor facility dedicated to football, I mean, that was not a, a big ask at all. And that's something that you – it should have been priority number one, I think, for Mitch, and it sounds like it was, and they got it taken care of. And, and track will come out in pretty good shape as well. So that is something – I mean, I think you can go probably back five years in interviews. Stoops was mentioning the indoor, the turf in there. It just so happened to be once they, you know, had the 10-1 season in 2018, won eight games in 2019, and then they, you know, the pandemic year, they weren't as good. But then this year when they started like 6-0, and you could just tell in those press conferences, he was like, screw it, I'm not – I'm just like going to come out and say it. Like, <laughs> I want this done, and I'll put pressure on publicly. For me, I think that's a good idea from Stoops. I mean, I think he's got a lot of respect for for Mitch, um, just given the relationship over the over the years. But that's also a good way. I mean, if you get the fan base behind, if, if Mark says it enough that they need the, the facilities to be updated, you're going to get fans who, who really care about winning saying, you know what? I mean, why why isn't this getting done? Like, we, you should do whatever you can to keep Mark Stoops happy. And uh, this should certainly be something that does that. Yeah, absolutely. He gets what he wants. And uh, Kentucky fans, I've seen a lot of people saying they need new video boards. So the fans are, are getting an upgrade as well. Uh, for their game day experience. But, but Derek, before we wrap up here, I know you want to touch on some UK baseball. They opened the season today uh, playing as we speak 
yeah. right now. So if you want to, if you want to share some notes for, we, I know we have some fans and listeners that really enjoy UK baseball. I know uh, Shane, I met him in Columbia. He was talking about Kentucky baseball to me a couple of weeks ago. So uh, just give us what you want to close here with. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a few people, not, not a ton. I mean, not, it's not like I've had 50 people in my DMs asking about baseball, but there's been a few that have asked about if we're going to do any kind of preseason coverage and, Technically, we didn't because now, uh, as I speak, at the game's in the bottom of the second, <laughs> and Kentucky's winning three to two against Jacksonville State. But yeah, just and again, I don't I don't cover it day to day anymore. Um, but I kept up with it enough through the off season and have some good contacts over there. And uh, just my general thoughts on the Kentucky baseball program, big picture. I, I think it is a big year for Nick Mangione. Um, you know, they weren't a disaster last season. They, they've had a winning record, missed the NCAA tournament, but they weren't, they weren't in dire shape. But, on ta- on, you know, on top of what they had been the two years before in the, in the pandemic year, short in 2020, they were very bad in 2019. And they didn't make the tournament in 2018, although there were some circumstances there. And they probably still had a case to make it, honestly. I think they were kind of snubbed that year. Snubbed as much as you can as a bubble team. I get that argument where people say, you know, if you're a bubble team, you can't really complain if you get left out. But there are still cases to be made. They they had a better resume than one of the teams that got in over them. But, you know, that's going back a few years ago. And what happened in 2018, um, you know, this this is a little bit further down the road. I think in terms of strength, strength, you know, if you're talking about kind of pros and cons of this team, they have a lot of arms to choose from on the mound. I, I think they lack a high-end Friday night starter the way Sean Jelly was, the way Zach Thompson was. Um, so, you know, they don't have somebody like that. Uh, Cole Stupp is not that to me. I think he, you know, he, he's more of like, he's kind of like a bulldog, you know, he works hard, um, but he doesn't have just dominant stuff, but in terms of pitching depth, the options, I don't, I don't think you can argue that they have way more quality options in the bullpen than what they've had the last few years. Um, some of the names to keep in mind, Sean Harney, he was a starter at times last year, but he was also the closer. I think he had six starts on the mound at a minimum of six starts and also saved six games. Um, you also have Daniel Harper, who, again, not the most uh, you know, talented guy in the world. He's not like he's just got dominating stuff, but he's been around a long time, has a lot of experience, was huge in a, a win over Florida last year at uh kentucky Pro- i wanted to say to the fagan stadium <laughs> i miss it uh at kentucky proud park and then you have some other guys too i got some written down austin strickland was a guy i can tell you nick mangione loved this kid like just loved him he loved his attitude and the kind of the way he handles himself on the mound he's a young guy he's just a sophomore and then two other sophomores who i thought really would would play a big role in this year's bullpen and we'll see if they do but seth logue who was a younger brother of zach logue who of course was a, a weekend starter for kentucky a few years back he might still be with the blue jays i think he's still in the minor leagues but it got really hard for me to keep up with all those guys who were in the minors after the pandemic year just because so many of those guys uh i think they just got cut basically but wyatt hudipole is another guy who Kind of a power arm. I think, you know, he was a high school quarterback at San X and Cincinnati. He's someone that I think if he kind of refines his game a little bit, could be very good. And then Tyler Guilfoyle is a transfer. He's originally from Lexington, transferred in here from Lipscomb, I believe. And he's another guy who I think will be a back end of the bullpen type of guy. And then he has some good options for longer levers too. Alex Deegan's been around a little while. Um, he's had some good outings where he'll come in and throw three or four innings out of the pen. 
And the really interesting thing to me, though, Sean, and uh, maybe breaking a little bit of news on here for people who are going to listen to this in time, but Zach Lee was a weekend starter last year. From what I have heard, he will not be starting a game this weekend. I don't know if that means that he's going to be primarily used out of the bullpen or if he's going to be a midweek guy because, you know, typically midweek guys are a lot of for a lot of programs, and this is the way Gary Henderson did it too, and, and Mangion has as well, uh, you, you would use a younger guy someone you think could be a weekend guy in the future. Um, Zach Thompson was a midweek starter on Kentucky's 2017 team. That was very good. I mean, that, that's a luxury, though, to have a guy who was eventually a first-round draft pick be your midweek starter for a time. But Zach Lee was their Sunday guy last year. I don't I don't think he's going to be starting the season in the rotation. Uh, I think you'll see Mag Cotto, who's a lefty transfer from South Carolina. I think he'll get a start this weekend. And also Tyler Bosma, who's a transfer. Uh, for Miami, Ohio, who's another lefty, two two power arms uh, from the left side. So that's kind of the pitching rundown. I mean, a lot of names there. A guy I didn't mention, Ryan Hagan. Now he was a big time recruit, like the 25th ranked player, I think, in the country coming out of high school. He's battled some arm injuries, uh, but I believe he's back. And uh, I, I, but I don't know what that means for his outlook this year. Uh, I don't know if he'd be a midweek guy. If he'll pitch on the weekend some. But another guy, too, Mason Hazelwood, who was a weekend starter last year. And when he went down, I mean, that hurt the team a lot last year. He's a lefty. Had Tommy John surgery. Uh, because of that, I don't think he'll be on the weekends at all this year. But he is someone that I, I have heard will be back this season. And so he should be a, an option out of the bullpen. And that'll be a big that'll be a big addition. And then defensively, too. Last year, if you, if you read the press clippings, things like that, last year's defense, I think statistically by fielding percentage, was maybe the best in school history. I'm not saying that's a misleading stat. I'm just saying, I know like Austin Schultz was playing center field at times last year and he was like not an outfielder by any means. And he like had to play a Rajanu a few times out there. Like defensively, I just don't think they were a great group. Whereas this group, I think with Ryan Ritter, you see him acclaimed as one of the best defensive shortstops in college baseball. Chasey Step has a good glove over there at third base. Daniel Harris transferred in from EKU. Daniel was a very good uh, shortstop at EKU. And he'll he'll he started at second base today. That's where he'll play this year. And uh, beyond the plate, Alonzo Rubicobble, uh, he that's kind of his calling card. His defense, he's much better with the glove than what he is at the plate. And then the outfield, John Thrasher, really good speed, should be able to cover some good ground. Hunter Jump is from Arizona State, um, pretty pretty good glove out there. You know, nothing spectacular. And then Adam Fogel as well played center field for Hawaii, so he's gonna move over to right field. Good arm can run pretty well. So I think it's going to be a good defensive unit. And that brings me to hitting. That's the one area of this team that I, I just don't know uh, how good they're going to be because you're, you're asking the guys who – kind of four guys, in my opinion. Jake Plastiak, who plays first. Chase Step who plays third. Ryan Ritter hitting lead off today, the shortstop who I was talking about. And then um, Arajanu, who actually homered already today <laughs> in this game. I think you're asking all four of those guys to make big leaps at the plate this year to really help this team because Hunter Jump, I think, is going to hit the ball well. He's from Arizona State, so he's seen quality pitching out in the Pac-12. But John Thrasher played at Hartford. You know, you're not seeing many guys in that conference that make it to the next level or really could even pitch in the SEC. And kind of the same deal with Adam Fogel. You know, he's coming from Hawaii, so he's playing in the Big West. Same deal. So, you know, those are – three transfers in your lineup that it's hard to know how they're going to hit. I mean, jump, I think you feel the best about just because he's proven it in a, in a power conference, but 
I know this is, I mean, I'm sorry I'm sitting here talking the whole time, but like, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't gotten the sense, I'll say, that. I haven't gotten the sense that it's like a, you better make the inside tournament or you're out situation yeah. from NG Young. I don't know if it is or not. I just, it doesn't feel like it has that vibe to me. And I don't think they're going to be a, a terrible team, you, but uh, it's also hard for me to say. You got to be, you got to be competitive though, right? Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think they will be. I mean, this is the kind of team that should win. You know, I mean, you have to play TCU and Louisville. Those are the two really good non-conference teams you have to play. And I don't know how they'll – the TCU is a series, and is, it's in Lexington as well, and it's uh, – Yeah, March 4th through the 6th, yeah. Okay, so uh, it's even sooner than I thought. So, yeah. like, that'll be the first real test. But other than that, they should really dominate this stretch. But once you get into conference play, I mean, can this team hit enough to get to – 14, 15, 16 SEC wins. So that's probably where you're going to have to be to make the NCAA tournament. So, so I, I think it'll be similar to last year where you're going to be looking at a couple series here or there at the end of the year that they're going to need to win to get in. And they, they didn't get the job done last year, um, and we'll see if they can this year. Yeah, and those those late series you have, they closed with Florida. They, actually, they closed with Vandy, Florida, Tennessee, oh, South Carolina, <laughs> and Auburn. That's so, brutal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's that's a brutal stretch for sure. Now they're on the road this weekend, like you said, at Jacksonville State for three, and then if I'm counting correctly here, from February 25th all the way through March 13th, they have 14 home games, a couple yeah. of weekend series mixed in there. Uh, they got Western Michigan. That's the first weekend series next weekend. They open at home versus Southeast Missouri State on Tuesday. Uh, Western comes to town on March 1st, and they got Evansville. TCU, Murray State, Ohio University, and High Point before they go on the road to Indiana before they get into SEC play. So if you're into Kentucky baseball and you're in that area, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to make it out to Kentucky Proud Park uh, to catch a game. Uh, I'm going to plan to get out there at least a couple of times before the NCAA tournament happens, hopefully. I know the weather's not the best this time of the year in Lexington, but uh, hopefully Nick Mangione has a, a program that competes this year and has an opportunity to break through and kind of end that postseason drought that they've been on the last few years. But Derek, I appreciate you uh, covering some Kentucky baseball there. And you know, you said you got long-winded. No, absolutely not. Everybody wanted that. You're the you're the baseball guy. You've you've covered that program for a long time. You know a lot about it. So I'm uh, I'm hey, assuming also, that that's who they wanted to hear from, not me. <laughs> did I see that the softball team today in their first game scored like 25 runs? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, girls. They, oh, it was a 500th win as well for Rachel Lawson. So, congratulations. I'm scrolling through their Twitter account right now. She's been really good, hasn't she? She is. It's 23 to 0. <laughs> they beat uh, Santa Barbara, the Gachos today. They beat them 23 to 0. I guess they're out in California, Sean, because they're playing LME right now, Loyola Marymount, which is out of Los yeah, Angeles. It, so. it says they're 5 and 1. So, they played six. Yeah, they lost to uh, Virginia Tech, who's also a top 25 team. I saw yeah, that on the bottom line the other day. And I'm sorry. Like, I know there are people who ask for softball coverage too, and they 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 truly do deserve it. Uh, she's Rachel. She's great. She's she's been so good for so many years. Took them to Oklahoma City. They've been right there on the doorstep. I think well, they're basically a perennial super regional team, right? Well, and Chase Eastup just homered. Let's go, Corbin kid. Just hit a bomb. There we go. <laughs> uh, I'm allowed to do that now. Let a boy chase. Uh, <laughs> he hit a home run right there. So great kid, Sean. Really. One of probably the best Corbin High School quarterback too I've seen uh, in my time. So uh, yeah, Chase just homered, and but yeah, talking about softball, uh, that was a little live reaction right there for the fans uh, of the show. 
but softball, I mean, perennial super regional team. I just, I wish I knew more about it. And again, I don't cover it now, but, um, and you, I certainly tune in every single time that they get out there in the super regional or even just the regionals. I've covered some regionals. Softball is a great game too. It really is. Like it's, it's fast. It's fast paced. I mean, there's always something going on and I'm, I'm really happy that Kentucky has such a competitive softball program. I mean, it's the SEC in general. I don't think Vanderbilt has a team. And I think what last year, every single, every single team, I think in the SEC made the regionals. I want there, to say. There were a couple of things that I learned when I first started covering UK athletics. I, I learned that the the soccer program is in conference USA, which really threw me off when I, when I learned about that. And then I learned that certain schools in the SEC don't have softball and certain ones don't have volleyball. So uh, a lot of soccer men's men's soccer not a league for sec yeah and it's just it, it's that threw me off i'm like what you know i didn't know that was possible <laughs> but uh, going through going through the softball schedule you know they they won 23 to nothing today will they play that same team again on sunday how do you think they're feeling about having to play kentucky again oh god santa barbara's gonna play them again on sunday they gotta play them again on sunday <laughs> so it's well, a school record today for uk so well, and uh, sure they'll keep it a little middle closer. Of that, they have some really big games tomorrow. So I know you're. They, you mentioned that they're playing LMU there. They got Long Beach State tomorrow, and then they're at. So this is all at Arizona. They're playing number eleven Arizona at Arizona. That's a huge one tomorrow. That's on the Pac-12 Digital yeah. Network. So if you want to tune into that one, that'd be a big one. That one is a seven p.m. first pitch. Uh, for that game, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Then they're they're in another – I mean, they're traveling a lot. They're out there. They were in Florida last weekend, Arizona this weekend. They're going back to Florida next weekend, facing Jacksonville State, FAU, Michigan State, Columbia University, and LIU before they go home uh, for that home opener in the John Crop Classic with Michigan and Drake and Kent State. So uh, she's definitely uh, taking them and – seeing some competition before they get into the league and the league, just like it is in baseball, it's always good in softball too. I mean, they're not far off from like the thing with the softball program, from what I could tell. um, I mean, they're always like right there. You can basically bank on them making the super regional, but it's almost like they're always in that kind of 13 to like 16 range. So you're having to play, you know, some of the best teams in the country, but they are not far off from being a program that, that can win a national are, championship. Are they so, even, are they even ranked right now? UK? Yeah, they're ranked. Yeah. The softball team. Uh, they're in the, uh, I think twenties. I want to say, because when they show up on the bottom line, when they lost Virginia tech, I think one of the teams was 10, maybe Kentucky was, nah, I don't know if they were that high, but maybe it was, they 16th. lost their ranked team. They were both ranked. 16th is what I'm seeing here. 16th. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is, yeah, that's, that's the NCAA rankings there. Yeah. So. 16th. Wow. Uh, Arizona shows number 11 on the website, but this one's saying number nine. Uh, I'm not really sure, but yeah, I, I enjoy softball too. I enjoy UK baseball. So hopefully uh, we gave you some of that there. And I, I'm sure Derek, as this season goes along, we'll, we'll chime in and, and we'll talk some UK baseball and I'll be sure to talk some UK softball as well as we go throughout the spring. But Kentucky basketball will be back in action tomorrow at Rupp Arena. It's a 1 p.m. tip, Kentucky and Alabama. Depending on what you have going on tomorrow, maybe we can get a post game, something short up, or no, I'll be here, or, or maybe on Sunday. But we'll uh, we'll definitely get something out there. Uh, have a, an interview with Cassidy Rowe dropping Friday night, and you'll be able to listen late Friday night, early Saturday morning, or sometime this weekend. She is a Kentucky women's basketball signee. 
She's representing the 15th region as a Kentucky Miss basketball candidate. So a really solid player. Derek and I were talking about her before this episode started, actually before we started recording and what she could add to the program. I'm going to talk to her about that. So uh, that'll be about a seven or eight minute interview. Hopefully you enjoy that. And then we'll be back to talk Kentucky and Alabama. And then whatever happens with Liam Cohen over the weekend, I would expect them to make a hire pretty quickly, Derek. I don't think that that's going to be one that drags out. And for Kentucky's sake, you hope it doesn't drag out much longer if he ends up leaving because you kind of want to get a head start on what you want to do uh, to fill that spot. So we'll keep you updated on everything that's happening there. As always, the show is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub, three locations, Palmville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 